0: Here in the 7th inning, the Yankees are trailing 2-0. That is the key man. Hit
1: high in the air to left field. Going to the corner, Yastrzemski. It's over the wall. It's a home run for Bucky Dent. Yankees get the lead 3-2. And it's just there the Deep to left. Yastrzemski will not get its home run. A three-run home run for Bucky Dent. The Yankees now lead it by a score, of three to two. Well, the last guy on the ball club you'd expect to hit a home run. Just hit one into the screen. Bucky Dent. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Deep to Left with Bucky Dent. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor of Yankees Magazine, but you don't care about me right now. What you do care about is our friend Bucky Dent. Bucky, welcome to the Yankees Magazine Podcast Network.
2: Very excited to be on the show with you guys and looking forward to great shows to talk about a little bit of baseball uh, when I played and, and a little bit of baseball
1: now. For sure. We also have with us our editor-in-chief, Al Santasiri. How you doing, bud? I'm great, and I'm even more excited to be here with you guys. So we are right now in the Dent home. This is a pretty special thing for us. You know, Bucky, I, I, I'm really curious. I want to just get started right off the bat with what are you up to these days?
2: Well, actually, John, I've been doing a lot. First of all, I'd like to say I got married to a beautiful lady in November, and we went on a, a beautiful tour to Italy last year, and uh, it was just a, one of the most fabulous trips. We actually wanted to try and get married in, in Italy, but it didn't quite work out. So when we came back home, we just, we just eloped on the beach, and uh, I'm so happy. It's been uh, one of the best days of my life, and, and I'm really enjoying it, and I'm enjoying doing a lot of stuff for the Yankees also. Enjoy baseball, catching a lot of baseball games in Yankee Stadium over the last few years and, uh, and, and really watching
0: a, a super team develop. You, you mentioned obviously you come to Yankee Stadium a lot and you're able to do that. What are things you enjoy being back at the ballpark as much as you are during the course of the summer and, and you know kind of still being around the game? Always Yankee
2: Stadium. you know I love to go to Yankee Stadium, although I do miss the old one, you know because I played there, I have a lot of memories there. The new stadium is fabulous and, and I just love to go and it's the crowd, you know, it's the people, uh, it's popcorn, baseball, you know, and uh, I just love the excitement and, and, and watching the Yankees, the, the new Yankees. I mean, the, the kids of today, they, they got a fabulous team. They got some great young players and, and they're fun to watch.
0: Well, along those lines, obviously, it's spring training now. We're not too far from where the Yankees are in Tampa. The big signing this year or this offseason, not just for the Yankees, but, you know, throughout baseball, was Garrett Cole. Huge contract, nine years, lots of money. Uh, I think that's been pretty well chronicled and well documented, obviously. Uh, You know, just from the start, since that's like the biggest story right now, you know, obviously of what's going on in baseball and, and where the Yankees, you know, put their efforts and put their money towards getting over the hump. What is a guy like that at the top of the rotation, a guy who led the American League, you know, an ERA last year, a guy who was a true stopper like a Ron Guidry, for instance, and a guy who can really go toe-to-toe with anybody in the postseason? What does that give the Yankees? It gives them a guy every fifth day
2: that they know that's going to go out there and, and win. And it reminds me back when the Yankees signed Catfish Hunter. When Catfish came over, you know, he was a guy that came over to give him that dominant starter. And then in 78, it was Ron Guidry. It's that guy that you know every fifth day is going to go out there and give you a great start and has a chance to win. And when you got a guy like that, then the pieces start falling together, you know, like back in, you know, with Catfish and Guidry every fifth day now the 2 3 and 4 you you know you're going to win every fifth day so it gives you a chance to put long winning streaks together and not have big losing streaks because you got a guy that's that's out there every every fifth day that's phenomenal and he's got electric stuff
1: how much are you watching these days you know how how much baseball would you say you're watching on a regular basis
2: i I don't watch as much, but I do watch, you know, I, I'm Yankee through and through ever since I was 10 years old and Mantle was my hero, you know? So, um, I watched the Yankees and I've really, really enjoyed watching them over the last three years. They're slowly getting there. And it's almost like, you know, Garrett Cole becomes that one piece of the puzzle that they needed to get them to where they need to go, you know, back to winning the world series. And, uh, it's, it's just they're they're fun to watch and I love watching the young players I love watching you know judge you know guys that come up and like Urshala you know that came up and came out of nowhere and became now uh, a, a phenomenal third baseman in in just one year but they got all the pieces together and, and that's the kind of baseball I like to watch
1: and that's something that fascinates me Bucky because I don't think I need to tell you this you probably know this the name Bucky Dent. It, uh, it, it resonates around baseball, but largely because of, you know, one specific thing. But your career, first off, it's a lot longer than that. But secondly, you are a coach. You are a manager. One thing, because I was just in Tampa for about a week talking to guys. And look, you have Aaron Judge right now, who's down a little bit. You have James Paxson, who's out for a few months. Severino out for the season. Stanton, yada, yada, yada. One thing that came up a lot was people saying that for sure the thing that was huge last year was, the George Rochelle example you give, the next man of quality. You were a coach, and, and not only were you a, co- a coach and a manager, but you spent some time as a manager in AAA. You saw what it means to be the person who is getting those guys there ready to be the next man up. And I'm curious from your experience, as you're sending up these players to the majors and everything like that, what's it like knowing that your job is to have major league ready replacements?
2: Oh, it's huge. I started my career managing in in A ball in Fort Lauderdale, and I had Jay Buna, Roberto Kelly, Mitch Leiden, Al Leiter, you know, and these were guys that were the future. So you want to teach them to be Yankees and, you know, to develop them. And I hear people say, well, we just want to develop them. No, we want to develop them to win and know what it's like to play in New York. And then when I got to AAA, it became even more and more important to get guys ready because of the injuries that they have. And I think New York last year, they did a phenomenal job of putting together depth in the organization. You know, guys that they brought in that they were hoping that maybe they could fill in, but all of a sudden now they're, they're put into a role where they got to go out and play every day and contribute. And it becomes that next man up mentality. But the next man up, they, they had some guys that came up and, and were just outstanding. DJ, DJ LeMayhew, I mean, I saw him play a lot in college. and All of a sudden, he becomes a, a guy that's a most valuable player of the league. So uh, you got to give the Yankees system, Cashman, the uh, scouting people, A lot of credit for for going
0: out and getting them the depth that they needed. When you talk about developing players to win, I think that's a really—and not to sound like too much of that Yankee arrogance, but I'll say this. This is a group of players who from 2015—excuse me, from 2017 on, 2017, 2018, again 2019, hopefully this year, at least that's the assumption or the goal— are going to play a lot of meaningful games in October. They did the, the last three years, and and the again the expectation I should say is that they will again for a good portion of your career with the Yankees the same thing 77, 78, you guys are you know in the in the postseason when you talk about not just developing a player but developing them to win and within the Yankee system. What is it that made you so good in those big moments? Because you didn't go and have a great regular season then get to the postseason and be a different player. Besides the home run in Fenway Park, you were the World Series MVP. I don't know that the Dodgers, you know, got you out at all during that World Series. (laughs) I think you got on base every single time or almost every time. But, you know, and and when you look at, like, Yankees teams from last year, you know, some guys succeeded at that, that highest level in postseason and others didn't. How were you able to do it so well, I think because over the course of my
2: athletic career, I had a brother who was tough on me when I was younger that taught me how to play the game the right way. Not only baseball, football, whatever sport I was taking up, he taught me how to develop that mental toughness to perform in situations where games got got to be on the line, you know, so to speak. So I guess it was taught to me young, but then when you experience playing Over and over in big moments in championships, whether it's football, whether it's baseball, where you're playing for a high school championship, where you're playing for a college championship, you learn those moments and you draw from those moments and you learn to slow it down. You learn to focus and it's moments that you you just thrive on.
0: What do you think about the, the group of players here, how they performed in the postseason in 2017? Obviously, 2018 was kind of short, 2019. You know, what are your thoughts on this group? If they get there this year, their ability, whether it's, I mean, obviously we saw what Garrett Cole can do in the postseason, but when you look at these young hitters and Aaron Judge, or Urshela you mentioned, how, how do you look at their, kind of the pedigree they've built to this point in having been in some postseasons already? It only makes you better.
2: It only makes you hungrier and, and want some, you know, you want it more and more, you know. I mean, they keep getting there. They keep getting closer and closer. And it just makes you, when you lose, you get that feeling where it doesn't feel good. And you, you don't want it to happen again, you know. I mean, winning is special, but losing can do something for you, too. You know, it can make you oh, I don't want to ever experience that again. And and this group is right at that, you know, where the last three years they've been right there. And each year they've gotten beaten in tough games, you know, in a moment. And I remember in, in 80 when we had our great, you know, a great year, 103 games, and we got swept into playoffs. That was a bad feeling, you know. I mean, it's the first time we had really lost to Kansas City, and it wasn't a good feeling. So it made you that more determined the next year and we went back to the world series in 81 and uh, we got beat again but we got there and uh it just it just makes you work harder and uh you don't want to ever get that feeling again
0: there's a lot of bitterness, obviously, with the Yankees and Houston Astros, with the Yankees and the Red Sox <laughs> over so? recent years. Yeah, a little bit. You guys had that with Kansas City. You know, there were, I don't think there was any, you know, I remember asking Ron Guidry about George Brett and, you know, like, do you guys see each other now at card shows and things like that? And you, know, you didn't disparage him or anything, is but we don't really, you know, there's no need for us to really, like, shake each other's hand. <laughs> and I'm like, well... That says a lot. So, <laughs> um, uh, you know, how does that bitterness play into, you know, when you had to go back and face them again in in 80 and in all those years? Because, I mean, that, that same thing could happen if the Yankees play the Astros again this year. And maybe this is even a little bit more bitter, but how does that play when you're taking on those guys? Well, you, it just makes you more determined.
2: The intensity of the rivalries become really intense, you know, because 77, we beat Kansas City. 78, we beat Kansas City, you know. 80, they, they finally got over the hump and they beat us. You know, those are intense rivalries, and they had really good teams, and they were built for AstroTurf. Back then, there weren't many AstroTurf fields, but they were built for, for speed, and they had power, and, you know, they could run, they could do things. And then, you know, we were built for power, and we had some guys that could run, you know, but we had great defense that people kind of forgot about. But, you know, the intensity of the rivalries, they're there. You know, there's certain teams that, you know, you just – don't want to lose to and Kansas City was one of them, Red Sox were one of them. You just grind it, but you know to lose,
1: uh, it's it's not a good feeling. It's pretty funny to me. You know, we were talking about this a few weeks ago on The Yankees Magazine podcast. If you're a 15-year-old kid right now, you have no idea that the Yankees and Royals was ever a rivalry. All you think of is Yankees, Red Sox or even, you know, Yankees, Mets. Now, if you look at it, you know, even forgetting about all the controversy or whatever you do know that the Astros knocked the Yankees out of the playoffs twice in the last three years is there going to be a more intense atmosphere at Yankee Stadium this year than when the Astros come I mean that's going to be more intense than when the Red Sox come that's going to be more intense than when the Mets come oh yeah it's going to be more intense
0: it's, it's it
2: going to be intense for everybody that plays Houston simply because of what happened and you know the way they did it and knocked the Yankees out in 17 and then last year I mean that's that that's going to be an, an a, a thing that sticks with with the guys I know I've heard judge make some comments you know about it and it sticks with you you know especially with you know the way you got the way you get beat
1: I'm interested in your perspective on this and a guy who's been in the clubhouses I'll be honest when when this story first broke my expectation was that guys were going to be annoyed but at the end of the day Every player on every field is looking for an advantage in the same way that Carlos Beltran for years and years and years was thought to be this incredible savant who was, you know, the guy who could figure out every pitcher's tell. And all of a sudden now, you know, because he did it the way he did it, he's the enemy, whatever. I'm curious, are you surprised with the response from players around the league at how much vitriol there's been about this?
2: Stealing signs is goes way back. Everybody's trying to get an edge and Arfa pitcher's tipping his pitches and things like that. But I think the way the Astros did it, took it to another level, you know, that's really stretching it. But I mean uh, you know, I remember when I played, you know, when I came up as a rookie, guys would say, Hey, you know, when a guy does this with his glove, he's gonna throw you a fastball. When he does this, he's gonna throw you a breaking ball. I mean, that has been part of the game for a long, long time. But I think taking it the the way that they did makes it more difficult for guys. And uh, I I think there's already a little a big reaction, not a little, but a big reaction to to the way they did it.
1: But there were certainly guys in the clubhouse with you who were maybe stretching the limits of propriety in terms of things they would do on the field, I would imagine. I mean, it's not just standing at second base and trying to pick up what the catcher's doing or trying to pick up what the pitcher's doing. I mean, there there were guys you played with who uh, were doing things they wouldn't necessarily tell their grandkids. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, but
2: it was more of a secret then. They didn't tell many guys. I mean... I remember when I was coaching in Texas, you know, I mean, uh, I, w- I was doing the defense on my computer every day and, you know, guys would come in and they would, they would look at film, they would watch film, they would watch pitchers. Uh, you know, what are the tendencies? So that's been going on for a long time.
0: You know, another Yankee shortstop this offseason, uh, obviously just got elected into the National Baseball Hall of Fame, Derek Jeter, you know, as good of A story as it is that captain of the Yankees and you know, one of the greatest players in history gets elected into the Hall of Fame. Bigger story ends up being that he's one vote shy of being unanimously selected. Who was that guy? Yeah. (laughs) Trying to figure that out. And I don't think we (laughs) have What were your thoughts on kind of watching the coverage of everything that went down that night? Meaning that hey, he's elected, which of course was no surprise to anybody, and his you know number of votes was one shy. What do you think of the the whole thing? And and what do you think of the process?
2: He's a Hall of Famer all the way. I mean, I didn't get a chance to coach him you know in the minor leagues got some time to sp- you know to be with him in spring training when I came back to the Yankees and I was managing Triple A in 96 when I was coaching with Texas he beat us I mean <laughs> you know, back then I was like we can't beat these guys you know we played him in 96 98 99 but he's he's a phenomenal player and in the way he carried himself you know he's a First ballot Hall of Famer, and I don't know who the guy was that didn't vote for him, but, I mean, he better go high. But he, you know, (laughs) uh, I was watching it, and I was excited. I mean, everybody knew he was going to make it. It was just a matter of fact how many votes he was going to get. Derek did it for many years in in New York. He was a captain of of the team. He carried himself well, and he did everything that you needed to do. I mean, just to watch his career and watch, you know, the big moments that he he, he stepped up in. It was really fun to watch him.
1: You know, you speak of the Hall of Fame, you know, we're sitting here in Casa Dent, as the sign back there says. And I have to say, for those of you who have not been here, I feel like I'm in a little bit of a baseball Hall of Fame right now <laughs> with the amount of memorabilia that's here. I'm curious, how often do you make it out to Cooperstown? And, uh, you know, what are your experiences there? I, I played in the
2: game three times and, you know, coached in it, I don't know how many times, but it was always fun always
1: fun to go And just to clarify that game they used to have at an exhibition game during the season in Cooperstown at Doubleday Field it's a shame they don't do that anymore but that was always such a special thing
2: yeah it was a special thing I mean I remember the first time that I ever played in it we were the White Sox and we went up there and played but your mind just starts going when you start talking about this is the uniform Babe Ruth wore this is the you know the bat that he hit his you know 60th home run or your mind just takes you in different ways and uh uh, it's always a special place to go, and uh, the last time I was there actually was a few years ago with Mike Torres. We were up there signing autographs, and uh, you know, sitting on that main street and seeing all the
0: people, and it w- it's just phenomenal. I love it. It's one of my favorite places in the world. You know, I've told you uh, I've been there. I don't know, each of the last three or four years, run some races there, been there for Joe Torre's ceremony, Mariano Rivera ceremony. What I love about it is you can go at different times of the year. I've been there in the winter, I've been there in the spring, and I've been there for induction weekend, and it's like three different places in the winter it's this tiny quaint such a charming town like in the middle of nowhere you know of upstate new york and then in the summer you know induction weekend it's like being in new york city the amount of people that are there and all that's going on have you ever been there for an induction ceremony oh no i've never been i've been there
2: in the crowd you know like i said a few years ago we were signing autographs Mm -hmm. but i haven't actually been to you know, a ceremony and I would, I would love to do that, but uh, there's no way this year with G- Jeter going in. I mean, it would be a, a tough place to get around. I mean, it, it's a special place where you go in the winter. I've been there in the winter too. And, and in the summer, actually I took my youngest son up there because he was supposed to go with a group of kids and, you know, they got that great place for the kids to play. And it's always, you know, exciting for them to go up there and, and be a part of it. But he didn't get a chance to play in that game because he made the all-star team for the city. So I wound up taking him up there and, uh, in the wintertime. So it's charming, like you say.
0: Everything about it, I, I think, is so exciting. I'll share a story with you guys. I had dinner uh, Wednesday night with Tommy Canely, our, and I say this affectionately, crazy, awesome <laughs> relief pitcher. And I was sharing with him that, you know, my son this year is playing for the first time in a tournament at Cooperstown. And it's it's like the biggest thing in his life. I mean, it literally might be. And for me too. Yeah, for you too. And I think about it every day. I can't wait. I, I literally cannot wait for that week. It's, it's just overwhelming how exciting it is for him so I'm talking to a major league pitcher about that and I'm expressing to him how excited I am for my 12 year old son he finally made it to the Cooperstown year and it's going to be so great and all this stuff and Tommy Canely who's had a great career he's 30 years old he's had you know six or seven years in the big leagues and played in postseason games he said let me tell you something that's the most exciting thing I've ever done in baseball. That's the most fun I've ever had in baseball. And I thought that, you know, for a major league player, that resonated so much. And I think that kind of just speaks to how special that place is. You know, 12-year-olds are going to play baseball games on baseball fields that look just like every other baseball field. But there's something so magical about going up there again, whether it's to be there in the middle of the winter to do research or whether it's to go and play there as a 12-year-old kid or be there with, you know, Mike Torres signing autographs. It's just an amazing place. And obviously, we got some really cool things coming up this summer there. We've been talking a lot about, you know, visiting the Hall of Fame and playing at the Hall of Fame. I'm curious,
1: what of your artifacts are at the Hall of Fame?
2: Actually, when I took my son up there, they didn't have a whole lot of stuff from 78. So I gave him my 78 jersey and I gave him one of my gloves that I played in the in the World Series with. So at least I got something up there.
1: Well, that's always a question that I have for, for players in general. The Hall of Fame is really two different things. On the one hand, it's the plaque gallery and the plaque gallery is kind of what you think of when you think of the Hall of Fame. But really what the Hall of Fame is, is an incredible museum and a collection of artifacts of baseball history. So I always wonder with people, you know, we can have these conversations about, you know, is Buck O'Neill in the Hall of Fame? Is... For, if you want to throw a little more controversy out there, you know, is Pete Rose or is Shoeless Jackson in the Hall of Fame? Is Barry Bonds in the Hall of Fame? And the answer I always say is, yes, they are, that they are part of this collection of baseball history. They're not in the plaque gallery, but they're represented. You feel you you have a piece of yourself in Cooperstown, I imagine. Oh, absolutely.
2: I mean, you know, when I went up there and I donated it, you know, they did a, like a little press conference, you know, and it, it made you feel good. I, you know, I didn't make the Hall of Fame, but to be able to donate something up there that's... You know, you played that was so important to you, like my glove or my my jersey that I wore. You know, it's now in there where the greats are. To be a part of that and leave something there of when I played is, is, is really neat.
1: I think one thing that I always try to kind of get across to people when we have these conversations is that baseball fans are actually smarter than we give them credit for, and they know history better than we give them credit for. And the example that I always go back to is... Armando Galarraga and the perfect game that wasn't. And what I always say to people is... I bet you remember that perfect game, which wasn't a perfect game, more than you remember the one before it or the one after it that were perfect games. And the point is, we understand context and we understand these stories. I might feel differently about whether Roger Clemens is a Hall of Famer than you do or that someone else does, but we can contextualize what all these different players did in their careers, and we understand what that means for history. We understand history better than maybe just being a room in
2: upstate New York yes you're right you know and it's like when I started playing as an athlete when I was 10 years old I remember my first really game that I watched you know back when I was in elementary school you know teachers the World Series was played in the daytime back then and she would come in and say okay I'll turn the game on if you're quiet but that's the vivid memories that get you, you know, that vision. You know, when I saw Mickey Mantle and heard his name and Yogi Berra and Bobby Richardson and all those guys, you know, it was like I got mesmerized by the Yankees. And it became a thing where I wanted to be a Yankee. I like football more, but, you know, it was like, wow, where are them pinstripes, you know, where Mickey Mantle played? And you think... About the Hall of Fame, but you know back then when you're a kid, you don 't think about it as much as when you start playing and you play in the big leagues and you get your first game in the big leagues and then you think you want to stay and then you're playing against greats and you're playing against guys like henry aaron and 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 people like that, then you start going, man, Hall of Fame, but that's a special place, and then you go there woo it's really,
0: really neat I think about sometimes like what what John was just talking about you know there's there's people who really are kind of part of the fabric, if you will, of the history of the sport. You know, if uh, somebody today, you know, in 2020 just said, you know, I'm going to write a comprehensive book about the history of baseball. There's players who are not in the Hall of Fame plaque gallery, like yourself, who that book couldn't be written without. Bucky Dent hitting a home run in one of the biggest games and one of the most important home runs in the history of the game, then going on and playing in the World Series, like I said, not really ever, you know, getting out in that World Series and, right. and you know, winning a World Series, coming, you know, back, doing it again. When you think about what you were able to do with the Yankees especially after a childhood where you dreamed about being uh, a Yankee. Looking back all these years later, how has your perspective kind of changed over time? Obviously, you know, Derek Jeter always talked about when he's in it, he didn't think about it. Looking back now on your life and then putting it in context of what you did as a player for the Yankees, particularly in the postseason, what, what, what goes through your mind and how is your perspective different than it was in the in the past?
2: How blessed I was. How blessed I was as an athlete, you know, from sitting in that room and seeing Mazarowski break my heart when he hit when he hit a home run over the wall, and then fast forward and being able to do the same thing in a one-game playoff. And sports is a game of moments, and you know, there's big moments, and you look back on history you can remember you know certain games like Mazaroski you know or just big moments of watching sports and you know I look back and I look back and go how blessed I am to be able to not only fulfill a dream, but to be able to play for a team that I wanted to, to be able to win a world championship or a couple of them and, you know, to be a most valuable player in the World Series. You know, I, I look back and then be able to manage. It wasn't very long, but to be able to manage the New York Yankees. Uh, so I, I feel very blessed at, at what I had accomplished at,
1: in my career. You know, it's, it's an interesting thing you bring up there. This is a conversation I have with a lot of people. You can be a former baseball player. But you're not a former All-Star. You're a three-time All-Star. You're not a former World Series MVP. You're not a former World Champion. These things, this is your life that still exists.
2: Yes. It's things that you've you've accomplished in uh, making my first All-Star game. Man, I mean, that Alvin Dark picked me and going to Milwaukee. And that's the first time I ever met Nicky Mantle. Goose and I were going to a restaurant that night. And he opened the door and he goes, what are you doing? I go, look. And he looked around the corner, and Mickey Mantle was standing there with Billy Martin. He was the captain of the Miracle League team, you know. So, you know, things like that, you just don't forget. They're ingrained in your brain, you know. Playing the first All Star game, you know. I remember standing on the line, seventy seven World Series, when Bob Shepard was getting ready to announce me, going, "Wow, I'm in a World Series, you know. I mean, I made it, you know." And and you know, it's it's those those, those kind of things you don't you don't ever forget.
1: I always said one of, one of my favorite memories ever covering baseball was in the 2006 National League Division Series and it was game two at Shea Stadium and I'm walking through the tunnel just back to, into you know get back to the elevator and actually David Wright is walking next to me and he looks at me it's like hey do we have to do the lines uh go out on the lines for introductions today and I said to him like now you know they only do that game one and it occurred to me I've done this more than he has, you know. (laughs) You know, I've been I've been to more playoff games than this guy has. You you look in these guys' eyes, like you say, the first time, and there's just this sense of yeah, you went through 162 games and however many seasons to get to this point, but you know, there is nothing like when the spotlight gets the biggest, like everything's different.
2: Oh, there's nothing like it, you know. I mean. uh... Like like I said, playing in my first All-Star game, you know, getting in and, and being able to play, and then you know, playing in my first World Series game. I mean, that was just the top of the mountain. And, and then the win. I mean, you know, then standing in Game 6 with Torres on the mound, and I had visions of the year before when Chambles <laughs> hit the home run of all the people running on the field in 76, you know. And then I'm looking, and all these people are lining up on the, on the sides, and I'm going, okay— we making out here. Am I going to run jump on Torres? Am I going to run for my life? You know. <laughs> so Lee Lacy went to bunt and he popped it up and Torres caught it. You know. And I started to the bound before I could get there. There was like a hundred people already there. So I I ran for my life for the dugout. But you don't forget that. I mean, I, I I'll never forget the time Chambliss. Amazing to me that he was running around the bases and fighting off all these people to you know to touch home plate, which he tells a story he had to come out later and wound up touching it. But I mean. <laughs> It, it, those things just just they just stay with you, you know and World Series you know 77 and of course you know 78 was, was even a, a topper with, with what we did. but those are, those are
0: memories that are just etched in your brain forever. Speaking of 78, obviously, we, we talked so much about how your career is so much more than that home run. But since it is our first episode, I, I can't not share the story and, and have you obviously share your version of it, too. So for somebody who works in publications and is not ever played in the majors or, or at any level, getting to go to Boston with Bucky Dent. <laughs>
2: we had a good time, didn't we? Yeah,
0: I would say that's an understatement. Yeah. It's the favorite story that I've ever written. And I'm not just saying that because I'm sitting in your home, but... But I've told many people that when you're not around. But it was such an amazing experience and such a memorable experience. And, I, and I'll just share, you know, or kind of remind uh, you of this, uh, you know, kind of anecdote before I even get into anything about that two days that we spent together. You know, I asked our higher ups with the Yankees for permission to bring you to Boston and ask for, you know, our chief operating officer, Lon Trost to reach out to Sam Kennedy from the Red Sox to, you know, see if the Red Sox would allow... <laughs> <laughs> public enemy number one Bucky Dent to come back into you know Fenway park all these years later hang, for, hang on a
1: second I, I don't believe they call him Bucky Dent in Boston no, they, don't. No, they don't no, they no, call no, him no.
0: horrible things you know to see if the Red Sox would allow you in back into their home to do a photo shoot for evolves publications Yankees Magazine and the New York Yankees and Lon was like yeah I'm willing to help happy to help but it kind of seems like this is going to be a futile exercise they're not going to say yes the answer is going to be no but I'll try and you know see what the heck happens and so I kind of left his office feeling a little bit dejected because you and I had talked about it you know that winter leading into it and this is something I want to do and who knows maybe it's 50-50 he gave us about a 10% chance for it to happen and thankfully Sam Kennedy and the Red Sox were very very gracious and said sure we're happy to help and they gave us a personal. To kind of shepherd us through the stadium and the whole thing, and obviously you were there. You is know, it a that secret goes.
1: service agent to jump in front of. A- yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> and uh, you know, we met the night before for dinner at the Union Oyster House, which is this f- famous place in Boston. It's the oldest restaurant in America, longest tenured restaurant in America, and all this stuff. And I have to call you know the manager and ask. And I had had known him already because I brought one of the members of the 1980. United States hockey team the year before, who's a hero in Boston, unlike you, and uh, <laughs> Mike Arruzzioni. So I call and I say, hey, I want to do another interview in your place. And the guy is very nice man, as you remember. And he said, jokingly, hey, that's fine. You can interview whoever you want in the Union Oyster House, as long as it's not Bucky effing dent, but he actually <laughs> used the word. So... There was silence on my end of the phone because of course you mentioned that (laughs) and I didn't know I literally did not know what to say and I just didn't say anything at all. And by the silence, he knew that it was Bucky effing then. He goes, oh, you got to be kidding me. So the way he handled the Mike Ruzzioni thing was like, we're going to give you the table that John F. Kennedy sat at, and we're going to show you this red carpet treatment. So his response to me was, oh, I got to run this by ownership. I don't know if you can bring him here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but we had a good time. You know, actually, I went back on the 25th anniversary. I was managing Columbus, and Clements would have been going for his 300th win, but he lost before but you know going back and sitting up there on that wall and who would have thought you know 25 years later they're built seats up there it was such a neat park with the you know the screen up there and the way it was but I mean to go back and and sit up there where the seats are they're really cool and I really enjoyed that and then going back with you and uh, you know spending time there and Uh, Being able to go up there and relive that game was a lot of fun.
1: I think it would have been a little bit different if you guys had tried to do this. (laughs) Pre two thousand four, I couldn't agree with you more.
0: I, I agree, and and that's what I was going to ask. Although they finally let us, you know, let you back into the Union Oyster House, and of course into Fenway Park. What was your impression of the way you were received that day? I tell you
2: what, I I, I was amazed to tell you the truth. You know, I mean, they were they were really good to us, and it was a, it was it was really a fun day. But as we were doing it the night before, you know, my mind was clicking you know, replaying 78, what the night was before, you know, what we did, the pressure buildup as, you know, the day went on, the night went on, and then, of course, you know, going to the stadium, and, you know, that was what was going through my mind, trying to relive the actual moments of, of 78 when we went back there uh, to play them in a one-game playoff.
1: You know, I'm really, one, one of the things I'm most excited about about doing this project is, Not only telling this story in great depth, but all the other stories, you know, certainly uh, we're going to have plenty of time over the course of this year. And then who knows to to talk about October 2nd. But one thing I do do really do want to talk about right now, it's early March, obviously spring trainings going on right now, Al, you and I. We're on the east side of Florida right now, but we drove over from Tampa yesterday. As you see these news stories from Tampa, as you see, as you spend some time in Tampa, I'm wondering, do you ever laugh at how different your own spring training experiences were compared oh, to what these guys yes, do I now? yes,
2: I do. I, I chuckle all the time because, first of all, the thing that is so amazing to me is how spring training has changed. I mean, the, you know, the way it has changed compared to when I went to my first big league camp in 1973 with Chicago White Sox. The facilities are not even close. I mean, you know, we where, went to... Where
1: were you with Chicago? Where were they training at the time? Sarasota.
2: Army? Okay. I signed in 1970, and then in 73 was my first big league camp that I was invited to, and I was just so excited to be able to, to go there. And actually, the old Payne Park was like a trailer. I mean, it had like a double wide trailer in a corner and but I didn't care I was in the big leagues you know we had one whirlpool who cares you know I'm playing for the White Sox and I made my first big league camp you know but just the facilities I mean I just chuckle as it not only that as a player but as I started managing when I managed in a Yankee organization where we trained at Old Boggs Field before they moved their whole facility over to Tampa and see how it has evolved the, the difference of the training just in the, the facilities the way they go about it I mean it's it's completely changed, but it's fun to see how it's evolved. I mean, uh, the way spring Train is run now.
1: It's really funny to me. You mentioned the White Sox. Obviously, the White's. I spent some time around the Cactus League and the Arizona Fall League, and the the White Sox have this incredibly beautiful facility in a uh, you know Camelback Ranch in Glendale, Arizona, that they happen to share with the Dodgers. And as I was driving over last night from you know, from Tampa and I'm passing Vero beach and it's like, you know, just a part of my heart just, you know, sinks (laughs) a little bit. Cause again, you know, Camelback ranch, it is stunning. It is a perfect place to watch a baseball game. It's a great place to cover a baseball game. I'm sure it's a great place to get ready for the season. And admittedly Vero beach, I don't know that you could say that about Vero beach, but man, as I was like just passing that on 95, it was just thinking memories of Holman stadium and all that stuff. And it's just, you kind of mentioned earlier about, you know, new Yankee stadium and old Yankee stadium, are the players better at New Yankee Stadium? Like, of course they are. Of course they're happy to have, you know, a 17-acre training facility, oh, like, gosh. in their clubhouse. But, man, did I love going to Holman Stadium. Oh,
2: yeah. I mean, and, you know, as we drive up and down the East Coast, you know, I grew up in Miami, and I keep moving north. But, you know, back then it was the Orioles were in Miami, the Yankees were in Fort Lauderdale, Texas was in Papano, then you had the Braves and the Expos, and then you had the Dodgers all the way up in Vero Beach, you know. And now... There's nothing over here except the beautiful facility they built for the Astros and the the Nationals and, of course, in Jupiter. You know, you got got the Cardinals and the Marlins, you know. But now these ballparks are built for families, to bring families, to entertain them. The kids can come. And it's a fun environment. So to
1: see all that evolve, it's really neat. Although the irony of that in some ways is that the first place that was built for families and everything like that really was Vero Beach. I mean, that was the place where, you know, it was Dodger Town. It, was, it wasn't just, you know, a little stadium in the middle of nowhere. It was every road was named after Dodgers Great, and that was the place where, you know, the fans would be lined along the road as the players were biking past and everything like that. It, look, I mean, GMS Field in Tampa, it is a great place. It's a great place for fans. It's a great place to work and everything like that. And there's no question that it serves the Yankees well as they get ready for it. But like you said... When they're showing up at spring training right now, they're showing up two to two and a half months into their training regimen. You were showing up and it's like, OK, time to start playing baseball again.
2: Right. The, the switch went on. You know, yeah. I went from, you know, driving a crane
0: <laughs> <laughs> to go
2: to go spring training, you know, the next day, you know. OK, let me put my gear down and uh, get my bat and ball and go over uh, to Sarasota and, and get myself ready to play baseball, you know. But yeah, the mentality has changed and and it's great to see how it's evolved, you know, as far as the way they go about it now. I mean, just to go over to the Yankee Stadium in Tampa and see what they have to be able to train and and, and all the fields that were so perfectly manicured, you know. I mean, <laughs> Is that not
0: like Fort Lauderdale? <laughs> no, I'll tell you a funny
2: story. When I when I trained in when I, my first spring training with the Yankees down at Fort Lauderdale, We had to go play Rangers in Pompano. I hated that field. I mean, oh my God, I tried to miss the trip because it was so bad. And then I wound up getting traded over. I had to play on it every day. And I'm like, oh no, (laughs) this place is awful, you know, but you know, now you can't say that about any, any field. I mean, the, the way they're, they're taken care of. They're just beautiful.
0: I want to go back to one thing you mentioned a minute ago. What what did you do in the off-season? Like, what was your job? Who did you work for? I was for? an oiler
2: on a crane, a big 40-ton American. I had to drive it, and uh, I drove it all over Miami. Actually, I got strong from doing it. Back then, you know, we didn't make a whole lot of money, so we had to work in, in the winter. So I, I drove this big 40-ton American and uh, drove it all over Miami, and I couldn't wait to go to spring
0: training when I got the call. <laughs> Things have changed a little. I don't think Garrett Cole... Uh, Is doing that, was doing that. I don't think so. No, I I, I don't think so. Although,
1: I mean, I don't know if you guys saw this week, a story came out about Madison Bumgarner, who apparently has been competing in rodeos under a fake name. (laughs) Oh, no, really? He's been like winning rodeo championships under the name Mason Saunders. He's a bull rider? Huh? No, as a as a um, oh, roping calves? Ro- roping, yeah. Oh, and wow! Someone found a picture of him, you know, with his twenty six thousand dollar check or whatever from winning an event, and they're like, "That's Madison Bumgarner," but it says Mason Saunders, and he confirmed it. Oh. So people still do have their uh, yeah, offseason person off season. Well, back yeah. then,
2: when I actually when I first my signed my first long term contract with the Yankees, there were different clauses in there about things we could not do. We couldn't like play basketball. We couldn't snow ski. So I've never. I mean, still today, I've never been on a pair of snow skis, but I mean, there was things we, we could not do, and uh, I'm surprised that they allow them to do that.
1: Well, I don't think they do. Yeah. But that's <laughs> the so I think that's why he's using a fake name. What's his fake yeah. name? What is his Mason name? Mason Saunders. Oh, okay. You know what? It's funny you mentioned uh, snow skiing. Cece Sabathia, who obviously retired in the past year, has been spending the five months since his career ended, and you know, obviously after having surgery, but you know if you follow on Instagram he and his family just came back from Finland where they went to see the Northern Lights and he went skiing for the first time and he's kind of living all the things that he like hasn't been doing over the 25 years of, that he was involved in baseball and now he's doing it all and it's just been funny to watch that and to see a guy who obviously has all the money he could ever want in the world and now it's like, I can do anything. Why don't I go back and do all of these things I could never do? And you should do that. Of course. you know, you
2: should do. That's what I'm trying to do. You know, uh, travel, you know, see see different parts of the world that I've never had an opportunity to do and and it's fun, you know, uh, to be able to do that. You know, you spend so much time in your career not being able to do a lot of things that when it's over with hey let's go let's go enjoy our life and and I'm all for that.
0: Italy was one of those places.
2: Absolutely I mean I got a chance to go for the first time and uh, I just fell in love with Italy I mean the the food the people you know the the history it's just that's that's
1: what you want to do when you retire enjoy things. It's a little funny how Yankees history in the early 2000s changed because of a basketball game. Someone wasn't supposed to be playing another guy who had a kind of big home run in Yankees history. Now the manager, Aaron Boone, obviously that pickup basketball game doesn't happen. The Yankees probably don't. Sign Alex Rodriguez and no, all this they had. Stuff. A third <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, it's funny how uh, some of those rules where you might regret some of the things you weren't able to do during your career, and yet maybe they're there for uh, they're a little for bit reason. of a season.
2: Yeah, I, I remember uh, Jim Longbird was the one I think that hurt his knee skiing, and, and that's when they, everybody said, okay, no more skiing. It changes. And, you know, like you say, Aaron Boone, Alex Rodriguez, you know, came over in that, but now Boone's back and he's doing a phenomenal job as a manager for the Yankees. He's got a great team and he's done a great job
0: and the good thing is if he you know if he does get hurt you know uh or get injured you know playing basketball he can still manage oh yeah yeah i talked to um some of the
1: players when i was in tampa and one thing that they were very clear about was the incredible job that he has done in you know helping them cope with everything that's been going on off the field all the injuries all this stuff like that from your perspective a guy who you know has been in the arena as who's you know been in the coach's room who's managed what comes to your mind when you think of the way that he's run this team over the few years
2: Great job to do what he did last year to win 103 games with all the injuries and, and to keep them focused and keep them on on course as far as, you know, making the right moves, putting the guys in the right spot, having the depth. I think that's the biggest thing, you know, that, you know, when you have the depth that you're you're able to not skip a beat and, and have guys come in and, and step up. And but he's he's done a great job. You know, last year, I, I, I thought it was just a phenomenal job the way he
0: handled the team. Do you know Aaron, or you do you have have you met him? What are your, your oh yeah, I've been him around him. You what know, you, he's yeah.
2: he's great. I mean, you know, he's he, he's a great guy, and we both got the same kind of middle initial. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I was watching that game that night, and I dozed off. Before I dozed off, uh, I'm going, somebody with a B has got to hit a home run, and I thought it was going to be Bernie. And then uh-huh. I dozed off, and I looked up, and I saw him run around the base, and I go. What happened? And I go, oh, he just hit a home run. Nice. It got another beat. Keep it going, baby. You know? But yeah, you know, we, we have something in common. We both manage the Yankees. It's just, you know, he has a lot better team than I did when <laughs> I started in 89. And then I didn't last very long, but... You know, that's history and that's fate.
1: Well, I look forward someday to the Deep to Left podcast with Aaron Boone. Um, You you guys can share a little bit of that, but this has been a ton of fun. I can't believe this is just the first episode. I can't believe we get to do this a bunch more times. For everyone who's listening, I hope you subscribe. I hope you like, like, rate, and review us. And this is just just the start. We're going to have a lot of fun. I can't wait to get some of your friends involved. I can't wait to get some of your teammates involved. I can't wait until the season starts and we can start talking about things that are happening. But for episode one, I'm... Just having a ton of fun and I can't wait to keep going. And of course, Yankees.com slash publications where you can purchase subscriptions and any other magazines you like. We'll speak to you in two weeks. Bucky. We got, we're through with one. I think we did pretty well. Looking forward to the rest of them.
2: Looking forward to it. Looking forward to the next step to see the young players and see the guys, the new guys come in and see Cole. I'm anxious to see him. and uh, it, It's just going to be a lot of fun.
1: And that's it for the first episode of Deep to Left with Bucky Dent. Like I said, we'll be back in two weeks. In the meantime, if you have any questions for Bucky that you want us to post him, why don't you email us, podcast at yankees.com, and we'll speak to you soon. Have a good day, everyone.
0: Hi, this is Luke Voigt. If you like what you're hearing, why don't you rate and review us? And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe. Thanks so much, and go Yankees.